This is Jared Svensson. And this is Joey, Jared's brother and the pastor. And this is The Pastor with No Answers. So, what's one plus one? Um, I'm not going to answer that question, my friend. You're not answering because you know the answer, and you know the name of the podcast is absolutely worthless. <laughs> Your mom's worthless, dude. Whoa, whoa, whoa wait. That, that, that doesn't really work here. Yeah, nice one, dumbass. <laughs> yeah, I just called my mom worthless. <laughs> That's not cool at all. Well, welcome to the pastor with no answers. The debate continues as to whether or not that name suffices. I'm comfortable with saying I don't have any answers, but you know, Jared keeps making good points because I know what one plus one is, but there's probably some postmodern people that would say, you just don't know. How can you prove that one plus one is two? Those people just don't deserve uh, to be called humans, I guess. I don't that know. Just, that kind of stuff just drives me nuts. That intense <laughs> skepticism taken to the nth degree, I just, yeah, that irks me. Yeah, so, hey, just a, um, this is probably some dated information, but you know what? When we started this podcast, we actually hit number two in the Christian section. Now, that may not seem like a big deal because that's one category, but it's a big deal when you think about all the people that we beat out, such as Rick Warren, Andy Stanley, Joyce Meyer, uh, Mark Driscoll, who still has a podcast that's way up there. David Platt. Did we Matt, ever Matt Chandler? Joel Olstein? No, we did not Damn it. surpass the pastor with all the answers. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Hey, so in, in, anyway, thank you guys yeah. for listening. Some of you yes. that listened to the episode on speaking in tongues, our good buddy Peter, who you'll be hearing from at some point. Uh, in on this podcast he actually wrote a post on why he does not speak in tongues and he actually was a little bit frustrated with that episode in a good way i'm not knocking him but just thought that chip got off the hook a little bit with his approach on speaking in tongues so anyway you can go to badchristian.com forward slash pwna tongues so that's badchristian.com forward slash pwna tongues read why he doesn't speak in tongues uh, go to facebook.com forward slash BC pastor if you just kind of want to stay in touch with what we're doing and that sort of thing. And Jared, did you know that someone emailed us wanting to give money to this crap? That <laughs> defies all logic. <laughs> anyway, <I'll> <laughs> yeah, Steve, Stephen, Stephen Mayer. I want to say that I'm saying your last name correctly. Thank you for the love. And uh, my gosh, if if anybody wants to go to gumroad.com forward slash PWNABC, then uh, there's there's some options there. You're not really going to get a whole lot from us other than just you being able to say you support something that you like. But Jared, we were texting back and forth the other day, and uh, it really started with it had been a while since I had listened to Sunny Day Real Estate uh, how it feels to be something on, which I still hold to be one of my top five favorite albums of all time. And so the conversation just went from there uh, between you and I, because I had also revisited It's It's weird. It's like when I hit a new season, I start thinking about a lot of the albums that I listened to in that season, dating back 15, 20 years and two albums that hit me big time because I would I still hold to this day that 1998 and 99 was two of the most critical years of my life. We won't go into all the boring details as to why, but thanks. Fall, yeah, fall of 98, Static Prevails by Jimmy World and How It Feels to Be Something On by Sunny Day Real Estate. For sure, two epic albums of that time, and I'm telling you, the nostalgia is just unbelievable. But Jared, Let me you, ask you real quick yeah. though, is that the is that the same uh, season that we purchased or we first listened to, um, the the second uh, Pedro the Lion, the one that came on um, I think Made in Mexico. Uh, uh, hard, hard to find, to a, find friend. a friend. Yeah. Well, Was yeah. That the fall pro- of ninety eight. Well, the problem is it came out then, but I didn't get it in the mail until winter of ninety nine. So, uh, okay. gotcha. yeah, it did come out then, but the mail order thing messed up. Hey, isn't that crazy, dude? I had to snail mail right <laughs> this guy and say, hey, man, I still haven't gotten hard to find a friend. What's the holdup? Right. <laughs> Love the 90s, and, man. And, <laughs> yeah, dude. And, and I'm telling you, at some point, I just had to say, well, I guess this guy stole my money. 
because I'm not getting the CD. I'm not hearing back from them. And it's right. not like I can email them every day. I'm not going to write a letter and waste a stamp every day email. I mean, mailing the guy every single. Uh, yeah. But anyway, Jared, so Sunday Real Estate, how it feels to be something on. And then Clarity, actually, Not Static Prevails by Jimmy World are yeah, two no, no, out cl- of. Go ahead. No, Clarity came out. Clarity no, 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 no. I, I, I oh, moved okay. the conversation on to my gotcha. top five albums of all time. Okay. So Clarity, okay. Jimmy World, How It Feels to Be Something On by Sunday Real Estate, two out of my f- top five. And I was telling you the other day that most likely this afternoon's Malady by Jejune, a very obscure album that came out on Big Wheel Recreation back in 98. That was my f- top favorite album of all time for years and years and years until well, at six years until Achilles Heel by Pedro the Lion came out, which is still to this day, 11 years later, my number one album of all time. That's Pedro the Lion's Achilles Heel. If you haven't heard it, you got to listen to it. But uh, I would say listen to I would listen to everything you just mentioned, though. I mean, I think for someone who wants to get a feel for, you know, uh, mid-90s emo, Midwestern emo, you got to check out, you know, Static Prevails. You got to check out Jejun. It's a gorgeous album. It definitely is obscure, but definitely worth hunting down. With the internet nowadays, it's probably super easy to find. Yeah, uh, Sunday Day Real Estate they have it, they have at least three classics. I mean, I think all three of the, their first albums are amazing. So yeah, they're all worth checking out for sure. Yeah, and you you need to uh, take take my take my Rising Tide Dare. I told you that I had revisited the Rising Tide because I agree with you. That's my least favorite Sunny Day, but I listened to it yesterday. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is good. I well, mean, let me it ask really you this: is good. Yeah. So so one album I do like is the Fire Theft. So yeah. would you say the rising tide is kind of culminated in the fire theft? Are they very close? Yeah, yeah. I would say the rising tide transition, how it feels to be something on uh, to the fire theft. But I don't okay. like the fire theft as much as the rising. Oh tide. wow! Okay. All right. Okay. So so hit us up on uh, a handful of your for sure top five, and then you can throw out some that may make it. Okay, so for the longest time, I would say Weezer Pinkerton was number one, but last yeah. fall, it shifted to Siamese Dream by Smashing Pumpkins. That's my nice. all-time favorite album. Absolutely amazing album. I mean, Cherub Rock, how it starts off is crazy good, but start to finish, it's an amazing album. Two, I would have to say The Power of Failing by Mineral, uh, kind of an obscure band, uh, definitely Midwestern emo. Um, I actually saw them live last November uh, in Gainesville at the Fest. It was a crazy cool show. They had, they had broken up for a while, so it was kind of a reunion tour. Um, an amazing album. I would say number three, probably the Blue Album by Weezer. Yeah. Um, and then that's which is you know obviously a very popular album. And then probably number four, I would say Life in General, General by MXPX. Nice. Uh, very very cool like pop punk um, hit after hit after hit on that album. I can listen to that start to finish as well. So top four. Um, other ones I like, uh, Get Up Kids' Four Minute Mile is really, yeah. really good. Uh, another, you know, mid-90s, Midwestern emo. I saw them live back in August with Braid. It was a great show. Um, I also like uh, Rancid, Out Come the Wolves. Very cool ska-infused punk uh, from the mid-90s. So those are those kind of round out my top five or six, I would say. You know, it's funny is the people that are listening to this podcast that are from the same music generation and have the same interest. They're like mineral obscure. What in the heck are you guys <laughs> talking about? That's not obscure. And, uh, but, but the people that thought that Finch and taking back Sunday defined emo for what it is. You guys yeah. are saying, yeah, I've never heard of mineral, right. but, uh, the, the biggest irony of all time is uh, you theologians and people that like to debate cultural and uh, theological issues, and you're looking at the description of this podcast, and you're like, I'm, I, must, I must have the wrong podcast. Somebody told me that they talk about uh, really fun biblical cultural issues. Well, you did not run into the wrong podcast. It's just that Jared and I take the first intro to talk about whatever the hell we want to talk about. So you're just going to have to live with that. And we are moving on though, to a topic of how do you read Genesis? Now we talk about the Bible and how to read it. In fact, there's a future episode coming out. We, we just did the conversation with a friend of ours, Dan Koch from the band Sherwood and Pacific gold, a friend of bad Christians. And he uh, has some very interesting viewpoints on this topic, and, and we actually had someone come on with a 
freaking doctorate's degree teaches this sort of theology who comes from a very conservative standpoint, infallibility, inerrancy, and all that stuff. So we talk about this stuff all the time just because, honestly, from a Christian perspective, how we approach any and every issue ties to this specific issue. How in the heck do we read the Bible? And so in this uh, conversation that we have here with our friend Ryan Amick, one of my uh, best friends, and uh, Jack Hoy, you have heard him, another close friend of mine. We talk specifically about Genesis, um, you know, talking about the creation account, Adam and Eve, Noah, and all that stuff. And uh, I think you'll be pretty uh, surprised by the different ways you could potentially read this, but I'm sure some of you will agree and disagree. But we're joining our guests right now. Ooh, I'm a dummy. I hate my show. All right, well, we are now with our guests here, and let me set the stage. Uh, first of all, uh, Ryan Amick, he was with us uh, for a previous interview that he came prepared for, but Carrie, our KJV friend, uh, was not able to jump on this podcast episode, which deals with Genesis and whether or not it's metaphorical or literal or semi-literal. So I just said, hey, Ryan, why don't you hang around? Our friend Jack's going to be jumping in and talking. And uh, I don't know if Ryan knows anything about the subject. He doesn't know a whole lot about anything, so he has to really prepare, and he's unprepared. So if there seems to be one-fourth of us that just is saying really weird stuff, and, you know, that's why. Well, Um, luckily for y'all, I happen to be just as passionate as, what's the other guy's name? uh, Carrie. As Carrie is about the King James. As you are about. Only I, as, as I am about the message. About the message? <laughs> wow. I, I think that's nice. the literal translation of God. <laughs> so that's what everybody should be reading is the message. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so um, welcoming Jack back with us. And uh, we're going to be digging into this question as far... And, and I do want to say this, that this to me ha- is a very interesting topic that uh, and, and this is going to go ahead and count for my two-minute intro, and then we'll we'll pass the baton. My brother's intelligence with the Bible and all that stuff has been a uh, huge part of my faith. I've learned a lot from him as far as science and how the Bible is interrelated, and I still attribute that uh, to a lot of his knowledge, and I still learn from him. Um, so Jack, uh, who's become a good friend of mine over the last couple years... Uh, threw me for a curveball as well, which was super eye-opening. And Jack, this may be stealing maybe your two-minute intro, and uh, it, that that'll be good because you're kind of you stole mine. anyway. So, yeah. So, <laughs> what about you being super smart? Yeah, exactly. Jared was going to talk two minutes about how smart he is. So uh, Jack told Jack told me one time that uh, he is not he. I, and, and Jack, you can tell me if you've changed your mind since, but with with Noah and the flood and with the creation account, you're on the fence as to whether or not it's even, I want to say, poetic or actually telling a historical story. So you can totally um, push back on that if I'm misquoting you. But bottom line is Jack said something to me that really piqued my interest, and that was that when it comes to the historic historicity, historicity, how do I say that word? Historicity, Histori- his hysterectomy of the body. That's, I don't think that's right. That's something else. That's another thing. So when it comes when it comes to that thing of the Bible, you uh, you you really can only start with Abraham, and that's where history really validates. Uh, the Bible is Abraham on, and I was like, gum And so now I'm actually totally 100% into Jesus. I love the fact that he lives inside of me. I believe in what he's done for me, but I am okay with, for example, the book of Job uh, not being a nonfiction piece, but rather a fictional piece. Um, we've talked about that a little bit in former episodes, but anyway, that's where I'm at. I don't really care one way or another, but I'm super interested in this topic, and I can't wait to see and hear Jared and Jack get super mad at each other. 
Um, so let's go to the next dummy on the call, Ryan. So just get this out of the way. Do you have any thoughts on this, Ryan? I have absolutely no thoughts. No thoughts on this. So, Jared. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Ryan, so which you have to take a side, though. What's your side? Just pick a side. You have to take a side, Ryan. Seriously, come on. Um, it sounds a lot like myth to me. If you want my <laughs> The whole ridic- Bible? <laughs> no, Genesis. Genesis so sounds, it's got a lot of elements of myth. So you can call now, me the Mythbuster then. Let's do it. Another, whether or not God's truth can live inside that, I'm completely fine with. But whether or not it's a historical account of anything, eh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't sleep as good on that one. That whole rib thing gets Ryan, I think. All right, Jared, go ahead. Ribs. Okay, so I, I don't know. Like To me, it seems like the reason why we don't want to consider Genesis... History is because of the paradigm we live in, which totally accepts Darwinism. All right, stop right there. What is a paradigm? A paradigm is... I'm just kidding. Go ahead. (laughs) All right, so we're we're operating under a paradigm where Darwinism is the explanation of all life on Earth. We live in a paradigm where the Big Bang Theory accounts for the, the universe so to me, it seems like the only reason why we can dismiss Genesis as history is to accommodate Darwinism and the Big Bang. Okay? Now, as to you're saying that Genesis can't be proven with uh, anything, you know, anything like concrete, I would argue that things like uh, the, big, the, the, the big flood of Noah, that, that's actually looked at as catastrophism versus gradualism, or I I forgot the other word. But anyway, you have basically two camps. One camp is that the Earth, the universe, evolved over billions and billions of years. So the Grand Canyon was carved gradually by by water, whereas people who really embrace Genesis as fact would say that Noah's flood, which was global, created very quickly uh, the geography that we see today, okay? Secondly, Many people would probably laugh at Genesis 6 with a Nephilim, but there are giant skeletons being unearthed all the time. Well, not all the time, but historically, 20th century, 19th century in America, you know, South America, Central America, and that really goes well with giants like Goliath and giants that were pre-flood and things like that. So to me, there, there are actual um, historical arguments that support the Genesis account. And then lastly, if you dismiss Genesis as being myth, I think that does give rise, not necessarily for Christians, but the moment you exclude, you know, God as being away from history, as away from science, you can start justifying things like social Darwinism, moral relativism, eugenics, genocide, those kinds of things. Not that Christians would do that, but I think that it's very easy once you dismiss Genesis and just call it myth, then you're saying, okay, well then, how do we explain, you know, human, you know, the rise of life, the rise of the universe, if it's just Darwinism, where things just kind of come from randomness, then it almost allows us to say that we don't even need a God anymore. And I think that's what's happened post-Darwin is, you know, Western civilization has said we don't need God anymore because Darwin did a great job explaining things without him and the Big Bang Theory without God as well. So that's, that's where I fall into this whole thing. That is interesting, man. That is interesting. Um, I'm going to break the rule because it's Jack's turn now, but I think Jesus changes all that. Don't you think? You said that if... Never he changes mind. the rules uh, of the podcast or something? <laughs> My point exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jack. Yeah, so... Um, it, you know, on the one hand, uh, I don't necessarily disagree with anything Jared said. I, I think, though, that... Where I run into problems is where it becomes an either-or. So either the Bible is, uh, or rather, let's just focus on Genesis. Either Genesis is um, uh, history in a way that we mean that word, or it's myth. And, um, I I mean, I think both of those are are kind of fuzzy words. Um, you know, the, the the idea that Genesis is myth, I have no problem with that, because myth does not equal untrue. You know, myth is a manner of telling stories. We've kind of made it into this thing where myth equals fiction. 
Um, but, you, you know, myth is also a style. And, um, you know, Joey, er, earlier you said that uh, I see the I see Genesis 1 as poetry. Well, it is poetry. Um, the, the question yeah. is, what is it communicating? And, and so, you know, for my part, I would say, yes, Genesis is history. But the question is, what sort of history is it? And what is it trying to convey? Uh, the, the problem is we define history in a way that no one did um, uh, back in the ancient world, whether the time uh, of uh, Moses or the time of uh, Jesus. We uh, treat history yeah. very differently. We think that it should be the objective reporting of facts. Uh, and we've kind of fooled ourselves into, th uh, ourselves into thinking that's even a thing that's possible. Um Yes, Genesis is history, but what manner of history is it? Uh, Genesis is, well, the whole Bible is about God's role in history. Uh, it's about the relationship between God and his people, God and Israel. Um, and Genesis introduces that theme. And it's not so much a question of is it true or not, but how is it introducing that theme? And I think the problem is we, we try to do things with Genesis 1 that we really ought not uh, do so if if I you know if I'm reading uh, if I'm reading a book on physics and I say to myself why isn't this addressing my deep-seated questions about depression and suicide uh, well it, it's not about that and or if I attend a, a lecture at a college right let's say Neil deGrasse Tyson is giving a lecture and and it comes time for questions and I say yes Yes, Dr. Tyson, I'm sorry, but can you please um, can you please tell me why why do my wife and I continue to have disagreements even though we so often see things similarly? What is the deal with that? I would be seen as a nuisance because that's not what the lecture is about. And trying to make it about yeah. something it's not uh, is going to take you down a road that you're not going to find anything on. And it's going to be uh, really troubling and it's going to leave you with a lot of uh, tension. And I think that's what people do with Genesis. So people ask, is Genesis 1 science? Of course it's not science. But it's not supposed to be science. It's not what it is, that's not what it was written to be. You done stepped on some Jared um, toes. Well, I mean, science... No, I don't, I'm not going to say that it's a science textbook. It's not. It's not a science textbook. Well, but even science is... But, science is a very specific thing. Uh, I mean, science is measured in repeated experiments, right, to test hypotheses. That is, that is in no way anything that Genesis tries to do. And so I think just even using the word science is just a mistake because it's not what it's trying to do. But that doesn't make it any less true. And I think we, we, you, you, when, we, when we start getting into the whole is the Bible science thing, we are letting, uh, we are letting uh, other people set the terms of the discussion, because, you know, Jerry, you said something I think is right on, uh, and, and that is that, you know, essentially in our society, uh, science has sort of become a religion. And science is, sci the word science has sort of become synonymous with truth in our society. And when we treat the word science Absolutely. that way, it's a big mistake. Because um, that's not what science itself is. And um, when we use it that way, it's... I mean, it's just you're, we're not going to be able to really have an intelligent discussion about what Genesis is doing because that's not what it's doing. So let me ask you this, Jack. Um, like, I, I think we're all familiar with whether, you know, literal, non-literal as far as, okay, were they literally seven days or are we talking thousands of yeah. years? But do you think there's a chance that the creation account as we read it, you know, two naked people in a garden that's perfect – that a dude named a bunch of animals and ate from a tree that they were allowed to eat from and shouldn't have eaten from another tree. You did. Do you think there's a chance that that story is completely a metaphor? Yes. Now, now, what I'll say. And, well, let me, let me say this real quick. What what I will say is, uh, of all okay. the things in Genesis, I think that is the most. I think Adam and Eve are the most problematic in terms of once you start talking about this. And I say I think there's a chance, but, it, it, I mean, for me, if Adam and Eve are not literal, I, that raises some really difficult questions for me. Um, and not just because, you know, um, other people in the Bible, other writers sort of treat them as historical persons, but, I mean, just, it, it raises a lot of uh, ethical, moral questions for me about humanity um, that are probably not relevant. 
Because are you are you saying the alternative of Adam and Eve would be evolution right. or God creating a bunch of people at different locations in the world? I mean, what if Adam and Eve didn't happen how God said it happened? What what are the alternatives? Well, I mean, well, I mean, you know, sort of what you said. I mean, I mean, I think evolution. If you want to say, oh, well, he created a bunch of people at different points in the world, then I mean, why why not just say Adam and Eve? Um, it seems like so, yeah. but but you know, for me, the, the deal with evolution, the, the real problem with evolution and humanity is the question of the image of God. Because if, if you want to take evolution all the way down, right, um, at what point does the image of God enter in? Because, you know, we don't believe that animals possess the image of God. Um, uh, and so I think, it, I think if, you, if you want to say that people evolved, at some point I think you have to deal with when did the image of God become imprinted on people and if you want to say that it happened at a specific point right so let's 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 just say there was a guy named adam right and he was a real guy not the first person but he you know kind of the result of evolution and and he was the point where the image of god entered into people so that would mean that his parents didn't have it well that's morally icky i mean right so so in other words you have to say that suddenly there are people and then there are people who are actually more like animals because they don't have the image of God. And that, to me, that's the most problematic thing about um, the idea that humans evolved because the image of God is something that's communicated very clearly in Scripture and something that's very important. And if you want to say that it's always been there, then I, 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 you have to say that a strain of animals had it all the way back to, you know, the beginning. And I just, I've, I don't know that I've found anyone who really gets at that problem and so for that reason yeah. I, I kind of feel like I, I can't really in good conscience say no Adam and Eve weren't real because it's it's such a problem for me that I'm really not at that point where I'm comfortable doing that yet if that makes sense gotcha hey, can I say something Jimmy? oh go ahead Ryan yeah well let Ryan butt in yeah yeah go ahead that, totally that man I, I was just gonna ask <laughs> what you guys define the image of God as um, so, so just so that we're all arguing from the same point of view you're asking Jack or Jared? Either one. What's the Anybody image of God, you? Jack? You know, like at Disney World, those, like, press pennies So, like, <laughs> when you're created, God basically runs your soul through a heavenly press penny And you have... No. Um, uh, that's a hard question. Jared, your turn. <laughs> okay i mean i would say body soul spirit i mean we we're, we are i don't want to say we're a trinity but i think god created us with those three attributes that and there's a there's an immortal part of our essence too that i don't think do apply does apply to to the animal world so body soul spirit i mean i think that the, those well, i think the ability, i mean yeah the ability i mean getting a little more practical the ability to truly love I think the ability to have real, true community, uh, making moral judgments or moral decisions. Like, I don't think a lion is thinking, man, this calf was just born, and that mom's going to be really sad. So I think, you know, if I eat it right now. So I think just being able to think through morality yeah. and, and all conscience that. Conscience, too, right? Basically, what you would define it as is a consciousness. Yeah. And in which case, if you do define it as that, where where does the problem with with Darwin's theory of evolution come in? Because if if people were derived from single celled organisms that slowly over time got more and more organized, I think you know the image of God is 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 several things. I guess the 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 main thing the image of God is is it's the ways in which we are like Him, right? We're made in His image. And I think Jerry touched on a very important thing: the idea that we're body, soul, and spirit. All of those things together. Um, and, and, and all of those are integral to who we are. The physical body is just as a, important to our our being as, as anything else. Uh, it's also ways in which we're like God. And, and uh, Joe, you kind of touched on that with the ways in which we're able to love. Um, the ways in which he's he's sort of given us authority as his stewards on the earth. Um, yeah. I, I think there's another thing, which is that it, it is sort of, and this is probably more of a result than an actual part of the image of God. Uh, it means that every person has equal worth and dignity, right? Like the image of God is not something you can erase from yourself. And and that's, that's you know, the, the here in Charleston and well, around the country, but especially here in South Carolina, you know, the Confederate flag's been in the news a lot. And, and uh, Russell right. Moore 
uh, had a really fantastic post about it. And, and, and you know, one, one of the things he reminded people is that you know Christianity really um, the idea the idea that you can own another human being is really repellent to Christianity, and it's because of the image of God. Um, it's the idea that people are set apart, and and the image of God bestows on them a an inherent dignity, and and that dignity is stronger than our culture's language of rights. Um, our culture loves to talk about rights, but the image of God is an infinitely stronger affirmation of human dignity than any sorts of rights language. I yeah. like that. Well put. All right, so let me. Um, Can I address Ryan? Jared. Question? Yeah, yeah. Because I think Ryan was saying. Why is Darwin Darwinism a problematic regarding the image of God and I think theology maybe Ryan is that what you were saying? I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I guess mean, most most of what I was going to come what I'm going to come with today is directly out of book by Francis Collins The Language of God. It's the only book I've written on really read on the subject, so I'm clearly going to be one-sided. But it basically argues that the that the that Darwin Darwin's theory of evolution and our understanding of a biblical God are not necessarily mutually exclusive, and that 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 our understanding of science can simply be a reflection of God's mechanics, how His power works. I guess I would argue. Yeah, it makes sense. I guess I would argue theologically. Uh, that's super vague. No, no, no. It it totally makes sense, and, and I th- I think that's a fair question. I think that if you look at like 1 Corinthians 15, where it says, for since by man came death, okay, that's implying Adam. I think that Darwinism presupposes that death is the way we got to man. So they definitely conflict. There's there's conflict there because for us to get from single cell organism to man, it requires like generations upon generations of death. But the Bible is clearly saying, go ahead. In my in my ignorant point of view, I would I would argue that God is clearly not offended by the or even concerned with the idea of physical death, that most of his energy is spent towards spiritual death. Yeah, but it says for since and, by and man came death. In that case, death. you could make the argument that the first real death was with the first real consciousness, that who the person who had free will and could choose God or not. Well, the only problem with that though, Ryan, is God originally intended for physical. And spiritual life to be eternal. Yeah. So I mean, but I, I do see what you're saying as yeah. far as a post. I don't know world. that I agree with that though. You, well, you say originally intended. Uh, there's a difference between originally intended and originally set up. Um, th- you know, one of the mistakes I think we make is is to assume that because things will be a certain way at the end, uh, when God, you know brings history to a close and, and reconciles everything to himself. B- because we, we see the Bible say how things will be then, we assume that it was like that in the beginning, and, and that's not that's not clear uh, from Scripture. Huh. And, um, y- you know, the, the, the passages in Roman or, or 1 Corinthians talk about through one man came death. I, I think that's really talking about death to men uh, rather than to creation as a whole. I, I think that, because Paul's kind of larger point is that Christ also brings resurrection, but again, resurrection for people made in the image of God. Um, you know, all creation it's is reconciled, but that's not the though. same as resurrection. Hmm? Where, where's the line of demarcation, though? That's that's the problem. So if you're going to if you're going to argue that point, people. When did man become man? Well, but again, so so the line is people. So so I, here, here's a, here's a question. I, I'm I'm not trying to get away from this, but you know, to Ryan's thing about evolution, I guess, Jared, my question for you is. Um, Aside from human beings, what issue do you have with evolution? And and again, I, I guess I'd have well, to say aside sorry. from death too. I mean, like like really, like what is the problem with the concept of evolution accepting people? Because I've already said that I, I'm I've got questions about that. But accepting people, what is the issue with evolution? Are you talking about like a theistic evolution? I guess that's probably what you're talking. Well, about. I mean, I, I mean. Well, I mean, okay, for, for me, theistic okay. evolution is just God exists and evolution happened too. I mean, right. like it's not like a God is. I, I guess. I guess my. No, go ahead. I guess my point is that looking at Genesis, reading Genesis, it is completely contrary to every tenet of, of evolution. So, if they're trying to, if God is trying to make some kind of point or trying to pick, present some kind of picture of creation, and is trying to somehow convey the meaning of evolution, 
or sort of allowing for evolution, he failed miserably because there's no way you can reconcile the two. And and I just don't don't see that because if if we want to talk about people, then I think we could have a different discussion. But in terms of everything else, animals, plants, I don't see that as a problem. And, And I don't know that Genesis really addresses that. Doesn't God say from each from their own kind? Well, so kind, dogs, kind, but, dogs, cows, cows. Well, I mean, you're you're assigning a meaning to kind, but kind can just mean general well, categories of animals. I mean, I, I don't think that's a problem at all. It's it's. I mean, certainly evolution okay. doesn't say that from dogs are going to come dinosaurs, right? From kind I mean, to kind, evolution says from a single single tiny microscopic organism to humans. Is what it was. What evolution says. Well, but we all believe we have a common ancestor in Adam and Eve. So again, the idea of common ancestry isn't really an issue. Yeah, it is. Going from a microscopic cell in mud to me again. No, that's, I, I'm, that's I'm accept, but, but remember, I'm accepting humans because right. I agree that could be problematic for Christian theology. So for animals and and you know all kinds of organic life other than people, I don't see a problem with that. I don't really see a problem anywhere in Genesis or the rest of the Bible that says that they could not have all come from single-celled organisms. I just don't see that as morally or, or theologically problematic. Okay. I mean, I, I think that the fact that you and I both believe in a creator God keeps us on the same page. Right. But because I interpret the Bible, Genesis, literally, and I believe there's a literal 24-hour day, sure. then I, that can't work. Sure. Evolution does not work. Yeah, so, well, right. That's, I mean, that's it's a different point. issue. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Well, I'm saying, well, this is going to come out terrible, but if a god is employing the amount of power that it would take to create things in 24 hours, who's to say that he couldn't have been, that he couldn't have applied that power to the mechanics of evolution in a 24-hour period? I mean, once you once you talk about creation in 24 hours, you're throwing out the constraints of of the physical world. Well, you're gonna have to so throw out Darwinism. It's hard to too, make then. an application between the two. Does that you make can, sense? Yeah, you can call. You can totally, if you want to, call it a special kind of evolution, but it's clearly not evolution the way it's presented by modern science and Darwin. If you're gonna say that, because Darwin Darwinism implies, you know, millions and millions and millions of years from a common ancestor that happened to emerge accidentally through random processes. So, but, if you want to, but dismiss that's based that, on what can be measured now. If you take Darwin's theory on what can be measured now, the the way the science works is you're going to then put that over history, assuming that there's no supernatural intervention. If there's supernatural intervention, then all of a sudden all bets are off as far as physical science goes. Am, am I butchering so that my, too bad? Then my, then my question to you is why even go that route? If you're going to dismiss the billions of years that Darwin advocates or, or, or neo-Darwinian theory advocates then why not just say that it happened the way Genesis said it happened? That's way, way easier. I mean, Occam's razor would say simplest solution. Why even go evolution if you're going to talk about 24 hours of evolution? Well, because it, it has it has value in, in, in today's world. You know what I'm saying? It helps us to predict things. It helps us to understand the human genome. It helps us. It, it's, a, it's a valid scientific theory. No, it's not, because the way it's employed by scientists is that it's all blind, random processes. Intelligence design, intelligent design, they say that the way things occur is because there is a, an intelligent creator that is creating these mechanisms for that to happen. But pure Darwinism implies everything is pure chance, pure mutations. So that you can't reconcile the two. Yeah, so if you find a laptop sitting on the beach, do you think, uh, I wonder if nature just put all that stuff together? Stupid, man. I'm just saying, I have no problem with... An intelligent God set things into motion and created a world that had certain rules and boundaries and and, uh, cause and effect relationships doesn't make him less intelligent. It doesn't, but I mean, I don't want to make this into an evolution thing, but the way way you're, you're defining evolution is completely new. Like, this is not what Darwinism is saying. So my point is, if you're going to create this other crazy evolution story where that occurred in 24 hour days yeah. why not just go with what genesis says well all i'm trying to do i'm not actually trying to argue the 24 hours i'm trying to reconcile it with yours and say that it's possible i'm not saying it's probable yeah but i mean that's I, one honestly, thing in, in general i'd rather have jack arguing these because it sounds a hell of a lot more 
believable. I, you know what, <laughs> Ryan? I don't know how satisfying this will be for you, but I, I, I feel like you and I pretty much agree on this. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan's, Ryan's trying to hold it together. I all but lost my faith in Jesus Christ just then. <laughs> I mean, can right, we so say, let me say one real quick thing, and then we'll, we'll leave the whole evolution thing you know, away. But there are really brilliant physicists who are operating under the Genesis paradigm, and they're arguing that the universe could have developed requiring billions of years, but through relativity, it's only 24 literal hours on the Earth. So that's kind of a way to bridge the billions of years it takes for light to travel from distant stars to us and at the same time preserve the Genesis 24 hours. It's very physical, po physically possible due to Einstein's relativity. These are very smart guys who are operating under well-established laws of physics and they're able to bridge that gap. So to me, that defends the you, idea. Good. You talking about Matthew McConaughey, Interstellar? How'd you know? <laughs> no, not McConaughey. No, no, no. But anyway, so... No, but in, so in, in, in that similar to what you're talking about, though? Sure, yeah. I mean, because time, time is relative to the observer. So I'm not going to get into the nuts and bolts of their theory because I don't fully understand it myself. But I've, I've you know listened to it, read their books, and it makes sense. And that is an observer of these distant stars would actually observe the billions of, time, billions of years of time. But something on the Earth would actually observe literal 24 hours. And the two can yeah. be bridged together through known laws of physics. It's not hocus pocus. We, we, so they're uh, arguing real deal science. we so. got to be real careful talking about Interstellar because we were doing that on Monday and Ryan had to leave the room because he hasn't seen it yet. Oh, and yeah. oh, oh, okay. I wanted Sorry, to man. talk about it and I made him leave. <laughs> I don't want to do that here, but I will. So what, what's this excuse? Why haven't you seen it yet? It's been out for like what a year. I don't have an ex There's no excuse for it. All right, all right, all right. So let's look. Let's look at the flood, Jack. You, uh, how, how do you read the account of Noah and the flood? Uh, and all catastrophic that? local flood. Yes. Yeah. So you do see it as history. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, the the idea of a do catastrophic local it? flood doesn't really pose pose a whole lot of problems of believability. Right, um, but so you definitely don't see it as allegorical. No, no, and, okay. I, and I don't. I don't really have a compelling um, reason to. Right, um, Jared, how do you see it? I would just say that there is a there is a quote unquote you know flood myth in almost every culture around the world. So to me, it's global. The Bible says it's global. Uh, therefore, I'm just going to believe it's global. And, you know, we, we don't fully understand the mechanisms because we don't know what the Earth looked like 6,000 years ago or whenever it occurred. There could have been vast reservoirs of water. There could have been a canopy. We have no idea. We weren't there. So God could have made it work, you know, based on the way the Earth was back then, for sure. And I believe structures like the Grand Canyon occurred very quickly as opposed to, you know, the millions of years that Darwinists would say. Or older people would say. So. All right, well, let's revisit a comment, Jared, that you made in your opening statement as far as dismissing Genesis having, you know, the potential of opening the door to genocide and just people kind of going crazy, anarchy or whatever. I'm, I'm adding words to that. Don't you think, let's, let's say that Genesis um, shouldn't be taking, taken literally doesn't Jesus come in and, and make that a game changer? And what I mean by that is, all right, so I'm pretty sure Jesus talks about Job. and um, But to me, that doesn't mean necessarily that Job is a historical figure because that could mean that Jesus has an awareness of the Job story and what it meant to that culture. And everybody listening to him is like, oh, yeah, he's talking about uh, that story about Job, not that historical figure. So I, I do believe that Jesus read the Old Testament, studied the Old Testament, took a lot of stock in the Old Testament, knew that the Old Testament, you know, pointed to him. But doesn't Jesus step into the picture and validate Genesis, but not necessarily a literal interpretation? So in other words, takes away that potential of saying, okay, if Genesis isn't literal, then all hell can break loose. Yeah, I guess that's not really the point I was trying to make. I think the point I'm trying to make is more of a worldview thing. So 
you know, prior to Darwin, it was taken pretty much by most people that God created the heavens and the earth, okay? And they got that from Genesis. But the moment you have Darwin enter the picture, then all of a sudden society started to start thinking, okay, this makes sense. We don't really need God anymore because Darwin's mechanisms don't require a God. Therefore, you know, let's, we don't really need to embrace Christianity or theism or whatever because, you know, we don't need that anymore intellectually. So when that happens, then you start having problems like moral relativism, uh, social Darwinism, eugenics, genocide, because then you start to say, well, there is no absolute, we're not, there's no image, there's no image of God. So therefore we can impose you know, our, our race over another race or whatever. Now, I'm not saying that's necessarily a Christian problem. I think that's a world problem. And I think that once we separated, you know, from a biblical Genesis type worldview, that opened the floodgates for all the crap that we're dealing with in the 21st and 20th centuries. I'm going to go to bat for Darwin a little bit here. People were being terrible to each other for a long time before he came around. And I, you know, certainly... Um, a lot of the concepts uh, behind natural selection and evolution uh, did have an impact on, and you've mentioned it several times, eugenics in particular. Um, I think that, uh, I, I, you know, I, I think you're right in terms of the ways that people have, have taken that and used it to justify their worldviews. But people take anything to justify their worldviews. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know that the 20th century would have been a whole lot better than it was uh, without Darwin and, and uh, his theory. Um, and, and also, you know, moreover, the you know, theories, the theory of the Big Bang um, was uh, formulated by a Catholic priest. Uh, Catholicism has had no issues with that or with evolution for, for quite a while. And so, you know, to say that those two things are, uh, are automatically and entirely opposed to to Christianity is it's a bridge too far like I, I I get I get what you're saying but I feel like that's just that I feel like you're overstating your case to me yeah I don't, I don't think the big bang is okay but I definitely think Darwinism is because the tenets of Darwinism as embraced by a society or culture okay it will basically undermine any notion of image of God absolutes morals it, it basically you know just it, basically undercuts all that. So you can't intellectually say um, there are no absolutes anymore. There are no morals anymore. There's no God anymore. We don't need a God anymore. We don't need a creator anymore. So I think, I don't think it's all of a sudden one fell swoop, but I think as is adopted over time in a culture, those things begin to happen. And I think we've seen evidence of that. And I also think you're right. There's always been bad guys, but I think the bad guys post Darwin are able to better rationalize it. And they're saying, well, what, whatever, there's no morals. Um, I can impose my will however I see fit. I, I mean, maybe, maybe it's a stretch, but that's how I see it. Sure. But I will say a lot of atheists do say that Darwinism was what allowed them to finally be intellectually satisfied atheists. Sure, yeah. It's that final thing that allows them to, to sever any kind of ties with theism. Sure. Yeah, but God's never been concerned with convincing people through arguments. He's always he's always told you to have faith in 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 direct opposition to what we see in this physical world. I agree there, but I think I, I do. But I think when when kids are being quote unquote indoctrinated by Darwinism, they are losing any kind of need or respect for a God. So I think it makes it more difficult. I think you're right. Yeah, sure, it's faith, and God can reveal Himself every sees fit. But I think it makes it makes it kind of a weird society where we kind of lose that perspective. We lose that creator's perspective or that image of God. Oh, I agree, I agree, but I just don't think that God's as threatened by that as we are. I mean, we watch people who lie and cheat and steal get get ahead in this world, and that all that does is, is uh, basically prove to young people that lying and cheating and steal is a more effective strategy in this earth than... Uh, piety and obedience and humbleness and meekness so yep. I, I, I just think it's it's not science's fault people are just using yeah I think justification right and I think I think this whole eight this new atheism has become a religion and it's built on sure the precepts of Darwinism I mean you can't escape that I mean any any intellectual atheist will use Darwinism to argue their case 
and they're reaching. They're I reaching agree, the but youth of I today. think most intellectual atheists, uh, where where they fault is not taking physical evidence and trying to draw conclusions of meaning about life. It's quite the opposite. It's taking physical evidence and well, it's actually I, I take that back. It's the exact same. It's it's using physical evidence to disprove meaning or disprove an intelligent designer, which. I don't think that's well, particularly scientific using, in and of itself. Yeah, deal. they're using physical evidence embedded in their worldview. I mean, you could have a creationist taking the same physical exactly. evidence embedded in their worldview, and we're not getting—we're talking past each other. So, yeah, it's definitely a worldview, and I think the way it's presented now, it's become almost a religion, where it's not not a theory anymore; it's fact. And I know that Joey's probably pissed off right now because it's turned into an anti-Darwinism podcast, which he probably didn't want. So I apologize, <laughs> and I'll back the hell up. You guys take it from here. No, this is perfect. So let, let let's wrap it up this way. So obviously, Jack and Jared, y'all read Genesis differently, read it through different lenses. And my question is, uh, and and I will phrase it two ways, Jack. How important is it that people read it? People read Genesis with a little more open mindedness, as far as okay, well maybe. You know, maybe this is talking actual facts. Maybe this is not. Maybe this, uh, you know, maybe evolution could happen within God's plan, even though Genesis doesn't seem like it, or maybe it's not. Why is that important to consider? And then, Jared, the flip side of that is why is it important <clears throat> to actually read Genesis with the lenses of, okay, well, how it's saying happened, this is how it happened. So I'll let whoever wants to go first well, I can go, go first. first. Um, uh, first of all, uh, I, like, I, like Jerry, certainly don't feel the need to apologize for how this discussion has go has gone. I mean, I think it's gone really good, and <laughs> I've been very pleased with how it's evolved. Oh, nice and clean. So sorry, guys. I realize that I will now never be invited back or receive eye contact from any of you. Um, you're messed I up. I realize dude, man. that. Um, so I, I guess Joe, to your question, I don't know that that is important that they keep all those things in mind. Uh, I, I think that. Yeah. So I, I I remember, um, you know, different states have, you know, one time or another had sort of the arguments about whether whether evolution or creationism creationism should be taught in schools and 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 there's always like one lawmaker or one guy who's like. We can't teach creationism in schools. Like, what if these kids don't learn evolution? I'm like, well, what if he wants to be, you know, an auto mechanic or run a retail store? Yeah. I don't care what he believes about that. I mean, right, like, like I don't, I took my car in yesterday uh, to the shop, and I wasn't thinking, gosh, I hope this guy believes in evolution, or he's not going to be able to fix my, right? Um, you know, the, the we, we tend to really overstate the practical relevance of these things for everyday life. And so, you know, my thing, when, when it comes to how people read Genesis, um, I, you know, if, if they are committed to a literal six-day young earth interpretation, I don't, you know, that, that doesn't really chafe me. Um, because I, I've met plenty of those people who are much closer to God than I am. And, you, you know, for me... Uh, reading the Bible isn't about reading it the right way. Uh, reading the Bible is about being close to God, and it's about learning His heart. And uh, so, you know, the so for me, the way I want people to read the Bible is uh, with a with a spirit and a mind that is you know open to receiving from God what He wants to speak to them. Now, if we're just talking about I want to study Genesis. I want to say the history and all this. That's a you know for me that's an entirely different question because yes, if you want to study any if you want to study any text in a historical way, then you need to be open to whatever you're going to find because if you're not, then you're not studying. All you're doing is confirming your own biases. Um, and and so if you want to read Genesis one and you're really interested in the history of ancient myth uh, and you're really interested in uh, how what what sets the Bible apart because it is a vastly different ancient document, then you need to be open to whatever you're going to find. And if you're not, then then you might as well not study because all you're going to do is confirm your own biases. Um, so does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. How about you, Jared? 
Yeah, I guess for me, um, I've wrestled with this for probably 10, 15 years. I probably have been old earth, non-literal Genesis for longer than I've been the opposite. Um, so for me, I can just say that once I finally settled into this camp, I've, I just appreciate the power of God so much more. Not to say that's going to happen to anybody, everybody who does this, but for me personally, I think it's awesome just how absurd it is. Like the absurdity of a universe being created in six days, tw- literal 24-hour days, is mind-blowing to me, and I love that about it. And to think that maybe the Earth is only 6,000 years old is mind-blowing and absurd to me, but I love it. It makes me cling more tenaciously to God's work for being so radical and weird. Uh, secondly, I work with a lot of kids, and, and a lot of the kids I work with are atheists. And it's so crazy because growing up, a lot of the people I knew were at least culturally Christians or culturally theists, but now the culture, at least in my area, is atheist. And a lot of the reasons why when you talk to these kids is because of uh, that there's no need for a creator anymore. So when they're being fed Darwinism, 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 they no longer intellectually need to even you know think about a god or a creator god. And I think that came with the the you know post-Darwinian time in history we live in. Okay, so for me, Genesis is about origins. And I think it really is important to really respect where our origins are. Um, so I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's too. Maybe I am stretching it. But I, I think for for me, when I see that we are created by God, that's so powerful. And the fact that God, you know, literally created the universe just for us, I like that idea too. And it didn't take billions of years of animals dying and then randomly mutating and creating another animal. I just like the ideas personally. So maybe. It's a bias. I love the idea of this kind of creation in a day. So that's my two cents. And again, there are definitely, I respect the old earth creationists. I respect uh, people who don't read Genesis literally. But for me personally, I love it. I love it as truth. So there you go. Now, do you do you think that uh, the unbeliever that's having a hard time coming to God because of science things that he can't, you know, put together and, and, and figure out, do you think that maybe it's a wider open door for him to investigate if he hears from someone that says, yeah, I don't necessarily think you have to believe in a young earth. Like, can you see that? What, you mean as an apologetic? Like, if I was trying to reach a child who was an atheist, would I, would I demand they accept a young earth? No, no way. But I would demand, or not demand, but I would definitely suggest, look, we are created by a God. You know, and we are in his image. That would be my first and foremost tactic. But then I could intellectually argue the case for no evolution and for a young earth. I could, I could argue that intellectually, not just based on faith and stuff like that, but I could appeal to their intellect as well. So, you know, for, for whatever that's worth, I mean, obviously the Holy Spirit has to reach that person. But as an apologetic, yeah. I, I could do that. So, Yeah. You got something to say, Ryan? Not really. I mean, to what you're talking about, I guess I would argue that uh, holding tight to a grip of a literal interpretation of Genesis from purely a strategic standpoint could be a stumbling block for unbelievers. And so for that matter, I would, I'm would i comfortable with loosening my grip because uh, I don't see it as a threat to God or God's power. I think whether God created it through some mysterious supernatural force or whether he can created it through some mysterious natural selection force it all came from him in my opinion and he deserves all the credit and i think if if it allows people to get close enough to god and and give people if it allows people not to have an excuse to write off god then it's worth loosening my grip on that awesome well thank you guys for listening um hope hope that it has been thought provoking and and mainly i hope that it's something that you can listen to and and really see up close that that folks can have common faith and also be on different grounds as far as how they see things such as uh, the genesis account like that doesn't have to be an essential position uh you know i would say that probably the four of us we don't think it's an essential doctrine you know as far as how we believe that's not essential to the faith in jesus so thanks for listening and uh yeah come back next week
All right, you are obviously listening to a pastor or the pastor or whatever you want to call it with no answers. We want to thank you. If you want to follow us on Twitter, go to at PWNA pod. That's at PWNA pod. I want to give a special shout out to Dan Coke, who provides the intro music that uh, starts these episodes off and ends it at the very end and if, man if you're interested in him hooking you up with some music not for free baby uh, go to dancoke.net that's d-a-n-k-o-c-h dot net that's our buddy Dan Coke go check his website out check out his music he actually does a uh, really good job making stuff that people use and uh, he's a buddy of ours so uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Feel free to join us at Facebook at facebook.com forward slash BC Pastor. We'll see you guys later. Have a good evening.